from others. An audio medium unlike anything you've ever heard before. The pinnacle of sound experience. Jacked and canned. Featuring John Tessman and Colby Tyler. A place where you will get the information you crave. And hear about the topics that you love. Presented by themselves. Coming to you from the basement, bar, and the bedroom. Sponsored by no one. Jack and Cam. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the sports roundtable of Jacked and Canned. Joined as always by John Tesman, this time once again in a car on the ride home from work. John, how are we doing tonight, buddy? Doing good, brother. Doing good. I wish I could say I'm doing a lot better if the Dallas Cowboys ended up winning the game. I'm sure we're going to talk about that some more. But Colbs, I'm doing good otherwise, man. I know you're doing good because today is a very... Very special day, ladies and gentlemen, for Colbs. He is turning 58 years old. Colbs, happy 58th birthday, my friend. I might as well be, buddy. It pretty much feels like it. But <laughs> I, I am, it is my birthday. I am 32 years old. So oh, a little, a little bit off. younger than John's got me, but it's all right. John's going to be 32 in about six months. Yeah. So Thanks we'll, we'll lot, be at the man. same page before too long. So, John, do you want me to get this started for you? Do a little bit of who's on top? Yeah, that you just reminded me that I'm going to be there in six months. I better think you should. You should, because I'm going to need a moment here to to recover. So tell us who's on top, Colts. Who's on top? Starting with the (laughs) NHL, NBA? NHL. All right, John, there we so go. here we go. We start off with the NHL today, Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins sitting on top. John, still 37-5-4. That is incredible. I mean, honestly, I, I'm starting to wonder to myself, I, I think I have to start looking into like teams that have done this well in the past because I am not used to there being teams that have had this kind of start. And, and I mean, obviously, it's the Bruins. I'm psyched about it. But I legitimately can't think of another team off the top of my head that started off this good. Uh, The Bruins start off here. They got 78 points. Next closest team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, at 66 points. So they got a 12-point lead and two games in hand on that team. I mean, that's incredible. I've never seen anything quite like it. They're uh, 9-1 in their last 10. No, it doesn't. It's legitimately, I mean, this is like video game numbers. I'm psyched to see that (laughs) happening. That's a good way to put it. Especially your video game number, Colts, because Colts is telling me yesterday he's twenty eight and zero in this. He's this, this, oh, and zero. No, no, that was a that was a twenty nine nothing lead. I'm sixty one oh. and zero. Oh, that makes me feel even better, Colts. Damn right, it's like a video game score. So the Boston oh. Bruins sitting on top at seventy eight points, followed by the Maple Leafs at sixty six, Tampa Bay Lightning at fifty nine, Buffalo Sabers at fifty one. In the Metropolitan Division, we have the Carolina Hurricanes sitting on top at sixty six points, the New Jersey Devils who got off to that really hot start, but now sitting at just sixty four points, the New York Rangers, John at fifty nine points, and the Washington Capitals at fifty six points. As we move Ooh. over to the Western Conference. We have in the Central Division the Dallas Stars sitting on top at 64 points. The Minnesota, or the, uh, oh my God, 
I just skipped over the Winnipeg Jets. The Winnipeg Jets sitting at 63, <laughs> so tight race out there in the Central. We have the Minnesota Wild at 54 points and the Colorado Avalanche at 53 points. Uh, they, they've been one of those teams the last few years that you keep uh, assuming is going to be the best team in hockey. It's kind of shocking to see them as low as they are right now. In the Pacific Division, we do have the Vegas Golden Knights sitting on top at 60 points, the Seattle Kraken at 59, the LA Kings at 58, and the Edmonton Oilers at 57. By the way, the Calgary Flames at 55. That is a tight race there in the Pacific Division. Nobody really has a headway there. Although I will say, John, this will make you happy. The Seattle Kraken, they're one point down, but they have two games in hand. So in theory, the Seattle Kraken have the inner edge to being number one in the Pacific Division. As Ooh. we move over to the NBA, Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics sitting on top at 35 and 13. Four games back game at number good. two is the Philadelphia 76ers, three seed, the Milwaukee Bucks, four, the uh Brooklyn Nets, I almost called them New Jersey, five, the Cleveland Cavaliers, six, the Miami Heat, seven, the New York Knicks, and number eight, the Atlanta Hawks, with the two playing teams currently being the Indiana Pacers and the Chicago Bulls. I will tell you, John, out east, uh, the Celtics continue to just look like the best team in basketball. And even though I would say it's not the same kind of blow away that it used to be, I still think that they are definitely and definitively the best team in basketball right now. And I think that they're actually going to have somewhat of a clear path in the East. I, I really don't think there's going to be a lot of teams to challenge them. I really thought Milwaukee was going to be that team, but right now Milwaukee kind of looks like a not an average team. They're better than average by a mile, but they they don't look like they're playing at the same level that Boston is. I've told you that I don't really worry about Philly and Brooklyn in the same way, and I honestly think the next best team in that conference is Cleveland at the five seed currently. In the Western Conference, John, we have number one seed, the Denver Nuggets, two, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Sacramento Kings at three, the New Orleans Pelicans at four, the Dallas Mavericks at five, the L.A. Clippers at six. We'll talk about that in just a moment here. Number seven, the Phoenix Suns. Number eight, the Utah Jazz. And the two uh, play-in teams would be the Minnesota Timberwolves at nine and the Golden State Warriors at 10. Now, John, the Golden State Warriors at 10. That one surprises me. Jesus. They were just the sixth seed literally two days ago. So that's how that is right now. And you go a couple teams past that, or really even three teams, down to the 13th seed with the Portland Trailblazers. They are even right now with the L.A. Lakers, who are 12. There is a two-game difference between the number six seed L.A. Clippers and the number 13 seed Portland Trailblazers. That conference is still wide open after the top five spots. And by the way, that five spot with the Dallas Mavericks, only half a game up on the sixth seed. So there's really a wide opening between five and 13 in that conference. The L.A. Lakers just uh, made a deal. They traded Kendrick Nunn and three second-round picks for Wizards guard or forward, rather, Rui Hachimura, which I know okay. that's not necessarily a name that you're probably going to know right off the top of your head, but he is not a— Not me, not at all. No, nothing. He's, a, he's been a pretty significant role player. He was a lottery pick a few years back, and I do think that he's going to bring a lot to the Lakers. He's shooting only about 34% from three-point range this year, 
However, last year he was shooting about 44% from downtown. So I got a feeling that this is going to bring a lot of added shooting as well as rebounding, which is something that the Lakers have really been lacking. I think it's going to help them out a lot. And additionally, Anthony Davis is cleared to come back at some point, maybe late in the week. It looks like January 28th will mark his return. Uh, Lonnie Walker is Ooh. also supposed to be back later this week, who has really been the Lakers' third best player all year. And we're going to be seeing the return of Austin Reeves likely next week. And even though Austin Reeves isn't somebody that you get worried about by any means, he's somebody that still averages 10 points and gets you a little something. So I do think that the Lakers are currently in a pretty hot streak. John, since LeBron turned 38, which happened on December 30th, he has been averaging over 35 points a game, seven rebounds and seven assists. I, oh my I God, really no signs of slowing down. No signs. No, no, not at all. They have been seven and three in those games. Uh, they are currently six and four in their last 10, but since LeBron's 38th birthday, seven and three. So I, I'm very excited about what the Lakers are doing right now. And even though I don't think that they're going to be a championship contending team, I do think that they're a sneaky playoff team where I think they'll be able to not only get in, but depending on who their first round matchup is, I mean, if they end up finding a way to the sixth seed, I think they could beat Sacramento in a series. They just beat them the other Ooh. night. Dennis Schroeder had a huge game there. I, I think that the Lakers could beat teams. I just don't think that they're necessarily going to beat Memphis or Denver, even though I'm honestly, I'm really not that worried about Denver. But we go away from the NBA, John. We have too much football to talk about here, John. <laughs> oh, man. Where do we want to start, Colbs? Do we want to take it easy? Let's build our way up to the Cowboys game. This was the last game that just got Well, actually, yeah, John, I figured we do this in chronological order to an extent anyway. So I know. That'll help me out, too, so that way I can kind of build up the the, the confidence and the spirit of of the Dallas Cowboys. No, that's fair, John. And I I think that's probably the best way that we could do this because, in all seriousness, um. I I want to do this in just the order that everything happened because legitimately we had four, I mean, solid games. I'm not going to say they were all great, but it, it was a really telling divisional weekend. And let me start here with Saturday of the divisional weekend, which featured the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles. So first game that we had there, We had the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. And in a large part, the way that Saturday worked for me, Saturday was the day of get the teams that don't deserve to be here out of here. And that's exactly what happened. So Kansas City takes down Jacksonville, who really at this point, it was their time. They needed to go. I know that you really liked him, John. But look, Jacksonville was not one of the top four teams in the NFL. They shouldn't have made it past this round. They're lucky to even be here. So Kansas City's able to take them out 27 to 20. Jacksonville gets a late field goal to make it that one score game, but it was truly a two score game throughout. And the the thing is, is that this all happens while Patrick Mahomes suffers a high ankle sprain late, late in the first. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that, see, that's the crazy thing. Chad Henney comes in, has to start off with a 98 yard drive. And yeah, just that. 
just picks Not it bad. apart a little bit at a time. And that was really cool to see because I remember once upon a time, Chad Henney had a whole lot of the same characteristics that you would see from your guy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he would yeah. throw for 350 yards, three touchdowns, and you kind of just put a blank check on the amount of interceptions. You had no yep. idea how many he was going to throw. But this specific game, he comes through and he actually gives you something reasonable just for one drive. And that's all it takes. It goes into the half. Patrick Mahomes comes back after halftime. And yeah, it wasn't the same, but it was enough. And we got to see him still throw a jump pass in the end zone, get the whole thing going. I mean, man, I'm telling you, when, when I when I tell you, John, that nobody in this league is better than Patrick Mahomes, I'm not kidding with you. Like this is the best quarterback I've ever watched play football and what he brings to the table, even on a high ankle sprain. And people talk about his mobility, dude. I would be terrified about having him just sitting in the fucking pocket. This guy, this guy can absolutely rip you to pieces. The the only down piece of the mobility being gone is that he does find a way to create a little bit of extra time for himself. That's obviously going to be inhibited here. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about the matchup coming up as we go forward. But, I mean, this one, even though it was a one-score game, it didn't really ever feel like a one-score game. It wasn't ever particularly close. And, you know, it's not the shit on Jacksonville. They're just not in the same league currently as Kansas City is. And I think as you look back on this Jacksonville season, you're not going to come away with a whole lot of negatives. You're going to look at this as, oh, yeah, they got off to a slow start. They got it rolling. Trevor Lawrence really displayed, I am one of those guys you don't want to fuck with. And I think going forward, Jacksonville has a realistic shot of being the team in the the AFC South. Because legitimately, I look at this, the Tennessee Titans, uh, Ryan Tannehill's a free agent, and I don't know what they're looking to do at this point at quarterback. But it can't be moving forward with the same kind of quarterback. It's got to be somebody that gives you a little bit more. Weapon wise, got to get an edge, yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. And they've got they've got Robert Woods out there, and then they've got some young receivers. But I I don't see a number one guy over there anywhere. And if you can get that in Tennessee, then maybe you can get something started. But we're talking about starting over from some of the key positions. We're talking about quarterback. We're talking about wide receiver and weaponry that you can have outside of just Eric Henry. Now, Jacksonville, you have the quarterback. You've got a guy that I believe is a very strong number two receiver in Christian Kirk. You've got Zay Jones, who I think is a very strong number three receiver. You just need that guy as the weapon. I mean, they they were able to showcase. I, I don't know if you know this, John. I know that you know uh, Etienne there is their running back, but their other yep. guy, Hasty, he he was somebody that was brought in from Carolina partway through the season that really hadn't been doing anything over there. He and he showed up and really played well for Jacksonville. I think they have a oh, legitimate yeah. two headed running back system over there that's going to be very beneficial for that offense. I think there's nothing bad to look at for Jacksonville season. They just didn't belong this year with this grouping of teams. So now they're you know, out of it. You know, it's super interesting, too, looking at the beginning of the season, James Robinson, the running back that they had. And I get, I know how you already feel on this, goes, but he did pretty damn good last year. And he started off the season pretty damn good this year. I know he had the injury bug a little bit, but holy crap, did he disappear? Like, that dude's... Well, yeah, they. I mean, they traded... Done. Well, they they traded him to the Jets, and he didn't yeah. do a whole lot over there. So, no. 
I mean, I don't think his career is done, but it's definitely he's going to have to showcase that he can be a second running back when they get Brees yeah. Hall back. That, that's going to be its whole own monster, because honestly, what James Robinson had done in Jacksonville comparative to what he did once he got to New York, it, it was night and day. Night or and I day, should just say day and night. <laughs> because, yeah, literally. But when you look at this now, I mean, Jacksonville going forward, I really think they have a strong linebacking core. Their their secondary has some holes in it, but I think it's something that's not too hard to fix. The biggest thing for them is going to be gathering some type of pass rush because legitimately, I, I think that Jacksonville's defense isn't as bad as a lot of people want to say that it is, but they don't have anybody that really gets to the quarterback. That's going to be a problem for them going forward, but that's something you can fix in a draft or two. That's not something you have to worry about. It's the big thing. And then you just have to find who's going to be that number one guy. And I just hope they don't put too much into it being Christian Kirk, because I really don't believe that he's that guy. But even with him, I think when you're talking about a uh, quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, you'll be able to kind of make that work for a while. Like even if it's while you're putting a defense together, that's fully stable. I think you can make that offense, get you nine wins a year, just based on the fact that the division that they play in and based upon the Trevor Lawrence is going to continue to get better. That's not something that's going to end. When we look at Kansas City, I mean, that team, if they could just have a wide receiver that's not kind of a, hey, there's that guy, they would be so fucking good. Like, oh. I mean, it's incredible, man. I mean, we, we obviously we know about Travis Kelsey, but when you look at the actual wide receiving core, we're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, and we're t- uh, there. There's somebody else in there too, and I'm blanking on it. Oh, McCall Hardman. None of them are bad receivers. They're just none of them are number one guys, and I'm not even sure that any of them are number two guys. And Patrick Mahomes is just picking people apart with these guys. They all have their own specific skill set, and he knows what they all do, and it works. When you look at what they've done with Isaiah Pacheco there at running back, it's an incredible change from what they've had because even though Clyde oh edwards Lair had a pretty solid start to his career, you could tell that there was a tapering there. And now that they bring in another guy that's just a different element for them, the run game's good. People say that their defense isn't good. I actually heard somebody, I'm not going to say who, but somebody said that their defense was shit going into last week. I, I just need you to, to to hear some of these guys that are on this defense, right? So their defensive line is Frank Clark, who's been on Pro Bowls before. They've got Chris Jones, who's like an all-NFL DT. They've got uh, Carlos Dunlap, noted pass rusher, granted passes prime but somebody who you have to mess around with. And linebacker, they got Nick Bolton, who since his rookie year keeps impressing people, keeps getting better, and has really become a staple linebacker in this NFL. Willie Gay, who's been a lot better than people thought he was going to be. And at corner, they got Legarius Sneed, who is somebody that you don't really want to throw the ball at a whole lot. This team is very well built on defense, too, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. I'm not telling you that the Chiefs have a top five defense by any means in the NFL, but they have an upper echelon defense, and I think people forget that all the time. Kansas City is going to, I mean, they're going to put up a fight till the end. I don't know exactly what that fight's going to bring, but they have fight to give. Are you kind of leaning a certain way coming up to this next game here? Are we going to talk about that a little bit later? 
We're going to talk about that when we get to the Jacked and Can show. But for the rest of the roundtable, we're just going to talk about the rest of the divisional round. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited for that conversation, man. The next game, the next one here, I am so curious what your thoughts are on this one. I, I, yeah, I would assume so. And I think a lot of our audience will be as well. So, John, we move to our next game here. We have the New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles. Game ends up being 38-7 to for the Eagles. And it's exactly <laughs> what it should have been. Because the Giants, I mean, the Giants didn't deserve to be here. Honestly, I they yep. should have barely been a playoff team. And they got lucky that their first round was against Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota was a team that kind of snuck through the whole year anyway and got a couple of lucky breaks. The, the Giants, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the Giants are a bad football team. They're not a bad football team, but they're not a great one by any means either. And uh, I, I know at this point they're at the place where they have to pay Daniel Jones. And I think that's probably the most unfortunate thing for that franchise because legitimately what they're going to learn is he's not that good. And now you're going to go pay him money because he brought you to a nine, seven and one season. It's yeah. You're going to look back on it and go, Oh, that was his good year. They went nine, seven and one. And it's going to you're you're just going to be pissed that you even spent the money on them. But the the Giants, when you look at them as a whole, Brian Dayball is a phenomenal coach. I believe he is going to be getting the nod for NFL coach of the year, and he does deserve it, especially considering what he did as offensive coordinator with the Buffalo Bills and doing a lot in the progression of Josh Allen's career. I I think you're going to see that that team will not be necessarily a bad team for the next couple of years. But it's just because of the coaching. The, the quarterback's not right. Saquon Barkley is a very good running back, but I worry about how much time he legitimately has left considering how running backs go out of this league as quickly as they do. It uh, it also appears they may be franchise tagging Saquon Barkley. And by the way, I'm getting some of my Giants information from Hector from breaking down the tape. I've been hearing from him, so I do want to make sure I credit him with those takes. He's the one that said that he's hearing that Daniel Jones is going to be getting a contract and that Saquon Barkley is going to get the franchise tag. So I do want to make sure I point that credit to him. Look, I mean, the Giants do need a number one wide out. They don't have anything close to one. Um, I, they, they've had a nice thing with Hodgins there where I think it's benefited them. Yeah, he's been doing good. But I mean, Kenny, Kenny Galladay hasn't been shit for them. Sterling oh, Shepard, big contract. That's what he's been—a big contract. Yeah, and and that's just it. I mean, the Giants need somebody that's going to produce for them at that number one wideout spot, and they don't have that right now. But I think even if you got him, Stephon Diggs or Tyreek Hill or Justin Jefferson, I still think Daniel Jones isn't your answer. I don't think you go any further than you did this year. Okay. So. I, I think that's that's ultimately going to be your problem. Defensively, it, it's kind of a mishmash. I, I'll be honest with you. There's parts of their defense that are well-constructed and then others that are not. So we'll have to see what they do going forward. But I, I, I don't hate what the Giants have put together. I just don't think it's going to ever do better than what it just did. I really think that's about as good as that team could be. When we look at the Eagles, on the other hand, holy yeah. fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow did they look good or, or what like every single running back Colts from boston scott to kenny gainwell to miles sanders which one are you yeah, going to target on because every one of them can run 
By the way, I I never heard of this Gainwell guy until this week. This was a whole new wrinkle to me, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, who the fuck is that? Why is he running oh, yeah. for so much? Oh, yeah. That's the backup. That's the first string backup to Miles Sanders. And there were yeah, rumors it's... that he was going to take the lead back role going into the season. But obviously, Miles Sanders didn't do bad. He did pretty damn good. And they run the ball all the time. And the thing is, Devontae Smith, amazing. A.J. Brown, you don't even have to say anything about him. Yeah. They got two number one wide receivers over there. I feel yeah, I, Dallas you know Goddard, what, John? awesome. I, I think I agree with you on the wide receivers. And the other piece of that is I didn't know exactly what Devontae Smith was going into this year. And after this year, I can look at him and say, holy shit, that's a dude. Like, that's a guy. Yeah. I would love to have that guy. And that's that's just something you don't see very often right now, where you have legitimately two guys. And you're like, holy shit, how do we cover either of these or both of them? Like, how the fuck does that work? And that's the thing. That's why I've said all year, John, the best version of this Philadelphia Eagles team is when they're able to also just get the ball downfield because they have the guys to do it. And sometimes they get so absorbed in the, their run-first offense, and I get it because they got the guys to run the ball, clearly. But I like seeing this team air the ball out some because they have the guys that can go get get the ball. It's just that simple. You throw it up to A.J. Brown anywhere. That dude is built like fucking Poseidon. Like he's going to come down with the ball. He's going to catch it on his spear and just track down to the ground with it. And Devontae Smith, I mean, that dude, you give him some space. He might be gone. I mean, he's a speedster. Oh, yeah. And I, I love what they have there. And even though I don't think as highly of Miles Sanders himself as I do as a lot of these guys, but when you throw him in the mix with Jalen oh, Hurts, yeah. who's by himself running the ball oh, a lot, yeah. you throw in a Boston Scott, who I swear only comes out at the end of the season. Like, I never <laughs> hear his name for the first 16 the Giants. Weeks. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't hear this dude's name until week 17 every year. And then well, all of a sudden, Boston but, Scott, Boston I, Scott, Boston Scott. Yeah, like Boston Scott for me, and I know he hasn't been playing this long, but it feels like he's been playing for like 15 years. He's but this, only he's week like the, 17 and on. He's like the Brian Westbrook of the Eagles past. Like he just keep his name is always there and it's always relevant. No, but and you always the difference it. though is Brian Westbrook was always a part of the offense. Boston Scott he just hides out somewhere and then week 17 I comes he I just straps up comes out of the locker room it's ridiculous and i, love I it. <laughs> but i do too i i really do and then yeah you throw in gainwell who i'd never even heard his name until this week and he came he had a great game and you look at the weapons that they have and then that offensive line i mean i don't think they have a weak point on that if anything it's a oh, right oh guard my God. But You're I mean, so Lane. John, by the way, John. Well, no, you know what? We'll talk about it later. But all right, we we've got a real offensive line versus defensive line matchup coming up, and I am excited about that. But here's one thing that a lot of people don't talk about with the Eagles: that D line. So I just want to start listing off some of the guys that they had because I don't think anybody really knows that they have all these guys, and people keep not really assuming the Eagles have this phenomenal D line, but listen to this. They have Brandon Graham, who you might remember from stripping Tom Brady in that Super Bowl, the Nick Foles one. They have Fletcher Cox, who's been their best defensive lineman for like a decade. They got Javon Hargrave. Yeah. 
They got Josh Sweat. They got Robert Quinn. They've got Nadamakin Sue. They got Linval Joseph. Like there is just guy after guy after guy after guy on the D line. And anytime that somebody's tired, all right, come out of the game. We'll throw this guy in. And there's just no stopping. There's always a a good to go, rejuvenated guy on that D line that's always coming in. And yet, I don't know that anybody on this D line is one of these elite guys. There's no Nick Bosa's on this line, but these are all good players and they can all get to your quarterback. And when you look at what the Eagles are doing, considering that they're swapping these guys in and out play after play, there's always somebody that's going to be chasing your quarterback and you just don't know which one because there's so many of them. It's incredible. I've never seen anything quite like this. Well, when you look at what their linebacking core is, I mean, they, they've gotten a lot out of their backup linebacker, Nicobe Dean, who was their first round pick this year. I mean, they and by the way, I mentioned that he's the backup because he still makes that many plays as a backup because they just sub him in where whenever somebody's tired on <laughs> on the Eagles linebacking core, they're like, all right, come out for a play. We'll throw in Nicobe. And the guy works like they they have depth everywhere on this defense. Obviously, they got Darius Slay and C.J. Gardner-Johnson there in the backfield, and it's just a phenomenal defense. They've built this team up so well over the course of the last five years or so, really since that Super Bowl roster where they, yeah, they've had a little bit of downtime, but a lot of that was just figuring out who the quarterback was going to be because obviously Carson Wentz didn't work out, and then after that, you kind of had to figure it out. So I I really like what the Eagles have put together here, and again, they deserve to just move on and absolutely smoke this Giants team. So we're going to move over to Sunday, John. Cincinnati Bengals, Buffalo Bills. What what is your thoughts on this, Goals? This one, actually, I was most curious about what you're going to think about Cincinnati after this game and also the Bills coming up short again. Are yeah. they going to panic and like blow up the whole team, or what do they got to do? I mean, Stephon Diggs looked very angry reading his body language yeah. there for a little while, <laughs> which I get. You're in the heat of the moment. You're an athlete. Anybody who played sports, you know how it is. But wow, him and Allen didn't look like they were clicking on the same page there for a little while. So, Colts, what the hell are you taking away from this game, man? I'm so curious. So, John, the Cincinnati Bengals, I told you going into this week, I, I texted you and I texted Tim on Tuesday last week, and I said, bet Cincinnati right now, because I I knew that they were going to win this game. However, I did not think it was going to be like that. I, I really didn't. Uh, weather conditions be damned, because I really didn't think that that was going to be that much of a factor as far as, I mean, I, honestly, I don't even think it was that much of a factor. The, the Bengals were able to just control what the Bills were doing on offense, which is something that almost nobody has done all season. The big takeaway that I have for the Bills, John, they have to get a second receiver. They have to because Gabe Davis yep. is not that. Gabe Davis is a fine dude to have on your team. I think he's a phenomenal number three, maybe even a weekend number two. But I... I don't think you can rely on him. Stephon Diggs is clearly a phenomenal, uh, one of the top six receivers in the NFL. He just is. He's that guy. But after that, the fall off is immense because we're talking about Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, and they had re-signed Cole Beasley. Look, Cole Beasley didn't play football all year because nobody wanted him. 
he's not that good anymore. Isaiah McKenzie, yeah, he shows signs of good stuff. And then at other times, he's kind of disappeared. And it, with Gabe Davis, you can expect like one one weekend a month, he's going to be that guy. And then he's just not for the other three. You need something more consistent than that. And you also need, especially with Josh Allen running the way that he does, because even though I know he looks like he's Superman and he cannot be broken, so did Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry's even yeah. bigger built than Josh Allen is. And yeah. it's only a matter of time before Josh Allen hurts himself playing the way that he does. I think that Buffalo legitimately has to get themselves a run game and they have to get themselves a number two receiver. That's really the only yeah. two things they need to do. Because even though their pass rush wasn't able to break what was a broken offensive line for the Bengals, which was very strange. But I, I think their pass rush is all in all fine. I, I don't think it's phenomenal, but I think it's a very good one. And it just happened to have a bad week. I think from a linebacker's perspective, we know that Tremaine Ed, Edmonds and Matt uh, Matt Milano are really good linebackers. I don't think we have to worry about them. Their secondary, they have very good safeties. Their safeties are one, maybe the best tandem in the NFL or one of. They, they are up there. But at corner, they could get stronger there. They They have a good corner. They they could use a second one, but I, I think that I think that if I'm Buffalo this offseason, my plan, and it could be through the draft, it could be through free agency, but you have to address a few things here. You need that number two receiver. I feel like that's a free agent thing. I feel like you get that in free agency. You look towards running game. I think you get that through the draft because you can draft guys in the fifth round to turn out just yeah. fine in the NFL for five years. I think you have to draft a running back. And then offensive line, they've been playing with the same O-line for like three years, and it's not bad, but they could get better. And I, I think that's the answers for Buffalo. You do not blow this team up because I legitimately think Buffalo's a top five team in the NFL. And this year, well, we're down to four teams. I think they're the next team out. So they're that kind of close. So no, you cannot blow this whole thing up. You have to look at what your weaknesses are and address those. That's run game, a little bit of help on the O-line, get yourself a second receiver. Honestly, if you didn't even address the defense, you don't have to. But I think you would really benefit from getting one more really good corner. For the Bengals, um, looking good. I mean, Joe Cool just became Joe Ice, man. Joe Snow. He was out there in the snow launching the ball around just fine. That receiving core is absolutely phenomenal. Like I there there's no team in this league that would have Tyler Boyd as their third receiver and it just works in Cincinnati because they happen to have Jamar Chase and T Higgins. Like it it's incredible what that team has put together. And you look at what that team is otherwise Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan, they phenomenal runners. Oh my yeah, God. it's it, they they can win whatever way they need to. If it needs to be 17 13, they can win that way. If it needs to be 42 to 38, they can win that way. Cincinnati is one of the best built teams in the NFL, and I think they're a problem for anybody. I, I legitimately think they're they're that team. And the the thing is, is and I don't know why people were overblowing this so much. They were talking about Cincinnati missing three starting offensive linemen, which I understand why that can be a problem for most teams. But right. I do need you to realize last year when they made it to the Super Bowl, they had the 31st ranked 
offensive line in football. They made it to the fucking Super Bowl. Like this team doesn't need a great offensive line. I know it seems kind of funny to say because I feel like almost every team does. That team really doesn't because they I mean, Joe Burrow takes the ball and immediately has it out of his hand. And it's crazy to me because he just puts the trust when he lobs it up there to Jamar Chase. Like with no time, he'll just throw the ball straight into the air. And it's like, yeah, Jamar's going to be there. That part's incredible. Crazy connection. Crazy connection that they got. Outside of that one connection, I mean, everything else he can do, just slant route here, slant route there. And that's when he even has to drop back because there's so many times when they're running the ball that it throws off the pass rush because they're like, oh, shit, now we're we're run defending. And that changes the entire landscape of what a defense is going for. So when you're consistently run, pass, run, pass, run, pass, the way that they do it, there's really no generating a pass rush because you don't know exactly when it's going to happen. They might run the ball three straight times. You have no fucking clue. And that that's part of what the Bengals do, even with their shitty offensive line. So I'm not I'm not worried about the Bengals and their offensive line. That's not a problem to me. But they they are a legitimate problem moving forward, and they probably will be for the next five years. John, I'm excited to see the last game. Oh, Jesus, the last game, the Cowboys game and the Niners. Even though, you know, all season long, I've been kind of low-key rooting for the 49ers, especially because the whole Brock Mr. Who wants to over there (laughs) at the quarterback position. And, um... No, ladies and gentlemen, he stole he stole that name from me. I don't care if he was born, but I'm older than him. So I've been saying Purdy longer than he's been saying Purdy. Yeah. <laughs> Colts can vouch for that. But anyhow, uh, I've been pulling for him. Christian, Christian McCaffrey, you know how I feel about him. I wanted to see him have a really strong rebound season. So this was already a tough game for me going in because I wanted San Francisco to keep on rolling, but not versus the Cowboys. Colbs, the damn picks, the interceptions hurt my soul. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, he did lose a step, definitely. Pollard getting hurt, literally losing his step for the remainder of the year. I know that the season's already done, but uh, that kind of hurt my heart because I know he's in the contract season. He's going to be a free agent after this year, and I want him to stay in Dallas. And you know how sometimes injuries come into play when it comes to contracts. Dude, I don't know what the Cowboys have to do right now. Uh, I feel like they need another wide receiver weapon like you were just talking about Buffalo. They desperately need another wide receiver weapon outside of C.D. Lamb just to open him up a little bit. Gallup lost a step from what it seemed. He's still awesome to me, of course. And uh, Noah Brown, cool. But we need that other elite weapon out there on the field, man. Anyways. That's my take on it. That's me coming from just a Cowboys fan who wanted to see him do it. And Colbs, totally off topic. I was watching the game, but I was far less watching to see Jerry Jones' reaction. Talk about heartbreaking to see old Jerry up there. 80-year-old Jerry Jones just wanting to get to a Super Bowl literally before his time is up. And he probably doesn't have too many more years left. But ultimately, he is Jerry Jones. So he might be 180. He might not have been in the oil business. He might have been in the fountain of youth business because Jerry Jones has looked exactly the same since the 1990s to me. (laughs) So what the hell did he actually discover? That's what I want to know. So I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to kick it over to you. Break my heart, Colts. Tell me that the 49ers are the better team. 
Go ahead. So, John, I think this might be closer than you probably assume that I'm going to say that it is. Um, one thing I noticed right off the bat of this game is that Brock yeah. Purdy was not comfortable against the Dallas defense. Oh, which he was, was not. Because yeah. if he was, you guys would have been picked apart and done with, and that was not at all the case. Brock Purdy could never get settled against that Cowboy defense, and that was huge. So when we look at the way that this game broke down, it was a 19-12 game in favor of the Niners here, and that tells you it was low scoring. That tells you that really nobody ever got going at any point. So there's very specific things that take place in a game like that. There's There's – big impact plays that you just either need or you can't have happen depending on what side you're on. When we look at that, Dak Prescott, his two interceptions, right? One of them gives the Niners three points because he threw it to them in field goal range already. Like it, it was, he threw that pick and the Niners already had the ball in field goal range. And that wasn't that there was this giant interception return. He literally just threw the ball like, he threw a pick at his own 30. So that's a problem. That puts three points in a seven-point game up on the board for the Niners. Additionally, Dak's second pick of the game, they were at the 30. So they were in field goal range. So essentially, he gave the Niners three at one point. He took away three from Dallas at one point. So then if we take away three from San Francisco and we add three to Dallas, we're talking about a 16-15 game. That last drive probably a little bit different if that's the case. So <clears throat> I think that's first and foremost what you need to do, and I don't think it's replacing Dak. Dak hasn't really ever been the interception leader in the NFL. I don't think right. that that's going to be a mass problem for him going forward, but you really need to work on the decision-making because it, these weren't mistakes by, oh, well, he threw to a receiver and the receiver gave up on the play or, oh, the receiver just wasn't good enough. I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> the, the, the problem here is that Dak was just making bad decisions at very bad times of the game. So that's first and foremost what you need to do. Second of which, and just take care of it now before it can ever even become a problem, get a new kicker because that that's that shit sticks with them. I, I don't care what anybody says. I know he looked eager to go out there, but that first extra point that got blocked, that, that shit was going to go wide left by about a mile. So you need to get your quarterback settled and you need to get a new kicker. After that, um, Tony Pollard's going to be fine. A high ankle sprain is something that sucks, but it's not something that's lingering and permanent. It's just something I guess that... They released that he actually has a broken fibula and he's going to need surgery. Oh, you know what? I did hear that. I I apologize, John. So it's a little bit more severe than what that was. is a little bit more severe. But considering his age, I think you're going to be okay with him. I wouldn't give Zeke any more money. I, I'd be looking to try to get out of the Zeke business at this point because even though I think he's a very formidable second running back and he adds a lot to your team with him being there, I. I don't think it's really that great to keep him there. The only thing that worries me for coming up into this next year is that Tony Pollard may or may not be good to go by beginning of the season. So you might need right. to have Zeke there just to start off the year. But I pass this next year, I think you have to move off of Zeke. I, I wouldn't be pissed if they have him there for this next season, but I think after that you got you gotta find a way to get out of that. 
Um, I do think, I mean, CD lamb is obviously a phenomenal weapon there for Dallas, but I do worry that they don't have necessarily a true number two. I, I don't think that Gallup lost a step. I just think that he's truly a good number three and T.Y. Hilton, yeah, it was a cool signing and everything. But look, I mean, the guy hasn't played football in a while for a reason. It's kind of the same as Cole Beasley. He's just not somebody that you can really consistently rely on anymore. He once was. He's not that anymore in the NFL. So I do think that Dallas will need to get themselves a second weapon. By the way, Dalton Schultz totally fucked you. But Dalton Schultz is a good tight end, so I don't think you have to worry about him just God, he fucked you at the end, not even taking the time to care about that second foot and what would have made that last play of the game, maybe something other than whatever the hell that was. And (laughs) I I know it would be, I I know it's easy to make fun of that last play of the game. Look, (laughs) they tried to go off script by having Zeke snap the ball. I don't think they were anticipating that the Niners are just going to line up somebody to run them right over because <laughs> ultimately I think Zeke was supposed to also be a part of the play once it became lateral mode <laughs> and he just got blown up on the snap and it was like, oh, well, that takes care of Zeke. Okay, now what? Yep. And they throw it over the middle and I, I don't even know who it was. I didn't look to see who it was that made the tackle, but I mean, he timed that shit so perfect. There was nothing that could be done there. I know it's fun, like fun and easy for a lot of people to make fun of that play and say, oh, that play sucked. It was terrible. I actually thought the play setup was good. And just the Niners sniffed it out immediately for what was supposed to happen. They took care of a the guy who you weren't supposed to really notice because he was snapping the ball. They just took care of him immediately. And then as soon as the ball got thrown, that play was red. And that dude just, he said, nope, not even going to give him a chance to lateral. I'm going to be there the second he catches the ball. And he did. And I mean, he hit him so damn hard. It's not even like the best thing you could hope for is he just throws the ball straight into the air and that somebody happens to be there like that. That's it. There's nothing else you could do there. So uh, when I look at this, John, I don't think Dallas is far off from this, similar to Buffalo. I, I don't think that you blow this up. I think you have to work a lot with Dak and specifically decision-making. I think that you have enough guys. I think you have to get more defensive consistency because you have, you know you're getting it from Micah Parsons, but I don't know that on any given week you're always getting it from anybody else. And I, I think you have good things there. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence is obviously a good pass rusher as well. We, I, I think Leighton Vanderesh is inconsistent, but when he's on, he's very good. I think that what you have there with uh, Trayvon Diggs, I mean, you have a very talented corner, but he can be kind of hit and miss as far as what his production level is. I, I think you have a lot of the right guys, and you just need to build consistency on the defensive side of the ball, and you just have to work with Dak as far as what it is that he's doing. Because in all seriousness, when we look at this Niners team, Brock Purdy, I mean, he's played phenomenal, but he didn't look phenomenal. Don't go too Dallas. much into it, Cobes, because we're going to talk about it in the Jack Can show as well. Well, I mean, <laughs> we're going to talk about his matchup coming up with Philadelphia, but I'm going to talk about him against Dallas right now. Okay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> he he looked he he looked like he couldn't get settled, and that that's huge going forward for them. So Dallas really showcased the first time that Brock Purdy was not able to put up a whole... I mean, that was the first time that Brock Purdy hasn't put up 30 points in a game. And 
I mean, it, it wasn't even 20. It was 19. And I know that doesn't sound like much of a difference, but the difference between 19 points and 30 points is pretty immaculate. So when I'm looking at this team right now, I, I'm looking at San Francisco as a team that they've now shown that they have a weakness. And we'll, we'll have to see going forward if that can be exploited. We're going to talk about these matchups coming up here, John. So I'm not going to break down the Niners too, too much because we do got to get out of here and get into the Jack and Can show coming up where we will talk about championship weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, as a Cowboys fan, we're going to end it here. We're going to get it next.